Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, here with the brief introduction before today's wonderful episode, spooky episode, Halloween mega marathon episode. You know the deal, 31 days, 31 pods. Anywho, little business before we get to that. Guys, this month is a, a work of love, right? We put in a ton of effort this month. And there's a way that you can help us out. There's a way that you can show some solidarity with us. Go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. It's the best way to help support the show. It's also the best way to get more out of the show for yourself. We have a huge Patreon-exclusive library that you can vote on the movies that go in there monthly. Uh, we have feature-length commentaries with our friends. We have a Tales from the Crypt miniseries right now, but we have more on the way. Lots of fun stuff over there. We work very hard to try to make that really fun for our, our patrons over there. So come join the party, guys. Come on in with us. Help support the show, and we promise we will do everything in our power to make it awesome for you as well. We appreciate uh, those of you that take your time and resources out to help uh, support small, independent podcasts like us. We appreciate that. So thank you. Make sure you subscribe to YouTube, Film Alchemist. Email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials. We're there. Other things you can do this month that are free and easy and help us out a ton. Make sure you're leaving five-star ratings and reviews wherever you find podcasts. That helps us defeat the algorithms and gather more of our whore-loving, movie-loving uh, family to join the cause. That's really a good, important thing to do. Another thing, if you're listening to this show, you certainly love movies. You probably know a lot of other people that do, too. We would ask that you, if you're kind enough, please send them a text, chat, whatever, DM. Let your movie-loving friends know that we're here. Let them know what we're working on, and we'll take it from there, man. Uh, we think the best way to grow this family is just going to be word of mouth, man. Just cool people telling other cool people. That's the vibe we're cultivating. Speaking of people who are cool as fuck, Devon Taylor, today's guest, a returning friend. Uh, last year's episode he did was The Prestige, which was amazing. Devon is just so fucking vibrant of a person, right? Just really insightful, really funny, uh, high energy. I love the way he he dissects movies. It feels like we don't always see things exactly the same, but as soon as he starts talking, I was like, fuck, it was right there, man. I want to watch movies the way Devon watches. I always feel really lucky uh, every time that we've gotten to talk. A really wonderful person, a really good friend uh, who also has great taste in movies. So Devon's pick today. The Corpse Bride, kind of the forgotten Tim Burton stop-motion movie. I think it's a fucking wonderful movie. But more than that, I think it's a really wonderful Halloween movie. Um, it was fun to talk to Devon about what the movie meant to him and some of his opinions on how um, this movie kind of got lost and why it should be brought back to the fore. So, again, always blessed in October when we have such great people take time out of their busy schedule to come help us out here. So Devon is uh, the host of the Spectre Cinema Club. He's also uh, often on as a panelist, the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. So a very busy guy. We appreciate him taking the time out um, to come out, you know, and help us out this October. So Devon, if you're listening, thank you. You're a very special person to us. We appreciate you and the uh, contribution. You guys will appreciate Devon, too. Go check out their work. Uh, wherever you can, we'll have that down in the uh, the show notes below. Without any further ado, The Corpse Bride with Devon Taylor.
right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Returning friend, uh, October megastar from last year, Devon Taylor. Welcome back, man. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back. I was uh, I was super excited to uh, hop back into your your mega spooky season marathon. <laughs> it's it's one of the best things is just rechecking in with our friends every every year just to see how everyone's doing mm. again. Uh, so thanks for coming back. Uh, would you be so kind? Would you care to introduce yourself to uh, people who did not hear your incredible episode on the Prestige last year? Uh, let them know where they can find all your stuff, what you're working on, and then if you want to introduce the movie, that would be awesome. Of course, yeah. So uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the Spectre Cinema Club. It's a uh, horror movie podcast uh, where we base our conversations around subgenres. Uh, we pick a theme for the month, and then as we talk about you know the films under that main theme, we break it down into smaller subgenres as well. Uh, because you know horror is so vast and varied, and so many different types, and and uh, and I'm I, I like to call myself the the horror anti gatekeeper because because <laughs> because because right. as as on the episode for the Prestige, I I will make a case for you know lots of movies to be included. You know, so I think it was funny last year. I kind of picked maybe the the least spooky movie of the bunch, but it still fit. And uh, and now I I'm think excited. it's perfectly apt. Yeah. And yeah. actually, you inspired one of our patrons said that he wanted, based on your argument, he wants us to do an entire curation that's just movies that aren't horror but are really scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we, so that we, was we, you. We did, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you, listener. Um, because, uh, yeah, like I, I love that stuff. We even did a month on our pod uh, last year called Almost Horror where we were doing right. movies that's like, no, this isn't horror. But like you as you get older, you thing, see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, if you just change just like one detail, if the music was different, it makes right. it scarier. If like, you know, something like that. And uh, so and then I was excited. I was like, all right, well, how am I going to bring a little uh, do a little different pick for this one? I noticed I'm the only one that picked an animated film. That's uh, right. For the month. Uh, so uh, I, we are kicking off with Tim Burton's not Nightmare Before Christmas, but Corpse Bride. Absolutely. Uh, so I remember seeing this in the theater. My wife is uh, one of the obsessed with Nightmare Before Christmas people. Um, mm -hmm. I came to it late. My mom thought it was too satanic. I wasn't allowed to see it until <laughs> I was older. I had to be able to find it myself. Right. Uh, yeah. That and Hocus Pocus. I wasn't allowed because it was satanic and witchcraft. Uh, and I found it later, and I loved it like everyone else, but it's not as ingrained in me as it is certain people of my age that saw it in the theater, right? Um, so I remember her being so excited to see this one. And it was kind of the opposite. I felt like I dug it a lot more than she did. And I don't mm -hmm. think that we had watched it again since the theater. Um, and I found it a really fascinating return. It was not the movie I had remembered at all. So why... Uh, when we reached out to you, why was this the movie that leapt to your mind to talk about today? Yeah, so, I mean, of course, like, um, you know, we'll, we'll mention Nightmare a couple times just since these are both stop-motion films. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a Burton boy. I definitely grew up uh, oh, loving yeah. Tim Burton films. They definitely had a big impact on my life and the way that I watch movies and the aesthetics that I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this film, I mean, one, it just, like, kind of exudes fall. Like, this is a very, yeah. you know, it's a very gloomy kind of drab uh, film at least when they're in the living portion and then you know so it's like it, it's got that and I think you know people didn't you know give this as much of a chance because they kind of saw the similarities between it and Nightmare mm -hmm. and uh, maybe kind of thought he was doing the same thing again and there's a couple notes in there that uh, he is kind of pulling from that but I feel like they're kind of nice companion pieces 
and in this one also i find interesting because i think it's i think it like it did decent at the box office but didn't do like huge like tim burton numbers like they usually do and i think it's part of the you know the similarities to nightmare but i think it's also like uh, this is uh, a little mature for kids like you know this is you know it was still marketed as a kid movie but i mean it's i mean obviously it's very spooky but like dealing with you know arranged marriage and class uh structures and things like that like <laughs> yeah. that, that what kid is picking up on yeah. any of that you know they they see a they see a dead bride you know yeah. and then and that's the movie for them you know so it's like i feel like this it sits in an interesting place because it doesn't really it doesn't feel like a kid's movie it doesn't like, even speak to the was. third graders playground experience <laughs> yeah. no 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 yeah nobody on the playground is practicing their vows you yeah. know like so so um, here's my bride a maggot pops her eye out recreationally and looks like peter Lorre. uh <laughs> no yeah. it is it's funny because i kind of love animated films that fall in this they're so clearly for adults Mm-hmm. Um, but they're trying to walk both lines. Yes. I think this one, one of the things I love about it, it just, uh, it ca- it's kind of a meme, right? It just says, fuck them kids. Yeah. Like this movie's clearly just for us adults. Um, and I, I but love like, that but kind that of, you can like bring the kid with you though. This is yeah. the opposite. This isn't yeah. kids bringing their parents to a kid's movie. This yes. is a, you know, we're bringing you. No you one know, will give you side is, eye. Yes. Like when I brought my kid to cocaine bear, right? Like they, they, <laughs> They think this is okay. <laughs> yes. We call it sugar bear in my house. Um, but yeah, they just like animals eating people. So I was like, this will work out. And it uh, did not. I got in big trouble for that. But Corpse Bride, it seems like they should be there. Um, but yeah, just, I I love the kind of hard fairy tale of it. I actually think this one has such a an extra layer of empathy that I love. Because I think it does start interesting, right? It, it is so drab. Right, which clearly they're drawing attention to with the blue butterfly fly floating through the town at the mm-hmm. start. Um, I think it's one of those, but the drabness, and I think the songs in this one just are not great. Like, mm-hmm. the songs compared to Nightmare Before Christmas, it's just leagues apart, right? So yeah. I think audiences are immediately just getting a different experience than they're expecting. But I True. think settling into that, I think the the story of Victor and Vic- Victoria? Yes. I... I was immediately entranced. And then once the bride's in, I was so emotionally drawn into the story, mm-hmm. which is not how I remembered watching this film at all. Right. It's like you, you when the bride's introduced and like and especially like I remember uh, the trailer like makes this seem all like very fun and poppy, you know, and it's, right. so it's like you're expecting like this dead bride. And it's like, oh, she's fun and whimsical and all this. And she is. But she has such a tragic backstory and like, you know, and like uh, you feel the the loneliness that, that she has and now that she has to feel eternally, you know. So it's like there there is a lot of emotion. And and yeah, with the, the music, it's like it's funny because like I pretty much have this entire film memorized. Uh, yeah. I've seen it so many times. I barely <laughs> took any notes for this yeah. um, because I used to I used to put it on uh, when I went to bed. Uh, yeah. I used to I used to fall asleep to this like in middle and high school, like almost like a lot like i watched this a lot and uh so i feel like maybe just from it playing in the background while i'm sleeping i could remember so much of it um but so it's like you know i i still i i still sing along to all the songs and everything but yeah they're not as catchy or like uh poppy because the the they really are uh servicing the story more rather than trying to like you know get people to be singing and dancing yeah, because you really have the two sets of parents who are just like, we don't give a shit about our kids. We got to make the dollars. 
right? And you're like, that's mm-hmm. just not as fun as Halloween yeah. shenanigans. Or what's yeah. this Christmas light, right? Like, it's just not as fun, but it is getting us to where we need to go. Uh, I actually, yeah, I was, I had forgotten how the, the bride got to the story. So in my mind, she became the bride, right? So the brides were the same. When I realized, I was like, he's in the forest, and he just happens to put a ring accidentally on a dead body. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's so fucking sad and dark. That's so yeah. hideous. I felt so fucking bad for her. And then she pops up and is pretty much just like, hooray, this is great. <laughs> it's so fucking twisted. Um, and it's that yeah. thing that Tim Burton can do. It's not repulsive twisted. Even though you look at it and there's things in it, you're like, yeah, that's kind of repulsive. Like he's marrying a dead body. Her, you know, wounds are exposed and decaying. And like it, it could so easily go in a tasteless way that doesn't work. It, but under mm. his guidance, it the whimsy kind of keeps it in this this kind of it's so rare that directors get away with this. I feel like Burton and Del Toro are kind of the ones who are perfect at finding yep. that threshold. Right. Yeah, I, I think the two of them really do dark fairy tales kind of yes, the best. Dark of, fairy tales, you know, like they they really do, and and uh, and that's why it upsets me whenever people are always like, uh, Burton didn't make anything good after Sleepy Hollow, and it's like, yo, like Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Big Fish, like mm-hmm. these are still great oh, movies. Love Big Fish, uh, you know that maybe they don't hit as some of the '90s one, but like they're better than Mars Attacks. I'll say that, you know. So it's like it, <laughs> So I find it odd when people like dismiss all of his uh, work in the 2000s just because of Alice in Wonderland because they didn't like that or they didn't like his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So then they're like, oh, yeah, he hasn't made anything good anymore. And it's like, no, come on, like cut the guy some slack. He secured the bag a couple times, right? Like Planet of the Apes was a divisive one when we were in film school because a lot of us Mm -hmm. love Tim Burton, right? A lot of my like fellow theater kids, he was like one of our guys that we loved. This is before Wes Anderson kind of came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we loved Tim Burton. And then we all saw Planet of the Apes. And we're like, what the fuck was that? What just happened? Yeah, yeah what? Wait, which... wait, 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 wait. Because I remember when they announced it, I was like, well, this will clearly be the greatest movie that's ever made. Uh, and it was that... different than what I had expected, right? I but can I, think... I can defend <laughs> Alice and Charlie more than I can defend Planet. I cannot defend Planet of the Apes. Like, yeah, in, I thought in the any same, fashion. man. Like, I didn't mind the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at all. Like, it was very like different, his. and it's such like an uh, iconic movie that like no one was ever going to be happy with whatever the fuck they did. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so, I'm okay. The thing you realize though is there there's something about Tim Burton's properties when he's kind of the sole kind of driving uh, vision of it, right? Mm-hmm. That just makes them so unique and interesting that I think he takes a lot of shit when he takes on IP because it's almost yes. getting in the way of what we want to see from him. And yes, that's not I really mean, a fair criticism. No, it's not fair. I was literally listening to another podcast. Uh, they, they were talking about Mars Attacks, but they were kind of talking about uh, the same thing on like, you know, like whenever he's doing his original stuff and like, you know, and then mm-hmm. uh, some people also I've seen people be like, oh, they're all kind of, you know, the same aesthetic ish. But it's like, well, he's a he's an auteur. That's kind of what he does. And uh, it, it's yeah. fascinating with this one. We don't too, get because... mad at Kiss for doing Kiss. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. Like and uh, and, you know, and. Uh, yeah. everybody loves to whenever nightmare comes up they're like oh he didn't actually direct it and it's like right. no he did not direct it be- but he he did the story he wrote it all he yeah. mapped it all out he drew all the a characters. lot of like design he, work yeah. Like, yeah like he so i mean yeah he still shaped the whole world 
world. And then he only didn't direct it because he was like, I don't know how to do stop motion. That's yeah, not I'm my not thing. a stop motion guy. This so is a completely like, different medium. <laughs> yeah. So he so I handed it off while he was doing Batman Returns. It was kind of a similar thing here, except he actually uh, co-directed with yeah. a stop motion guy, Mike Johnson. Uh, who did all the stop motion. It was kind of the same thing. Burton wrote and designed and did everything. Mm. Um, but uh, he was doing, but he did the co-directing. He was also doing this movie at the same time as Charlie and Chocolate Factory, him and Depp, which is wild to me. They were doing Charlie yeah. in the daytime and then they were filming Corpse Ride stuff at night. Like There that's are insane. some stories of like direct, I'm like, God, the workaholicness, like how, like, you know, Spielberg doing Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, like, right How? overlapping it's like what How? the fuck how does that happen yeah uh i i just always thought he like i i've just always loved tim burton too and again everyone who talks shit about his non-tim burton stuff batman batman for people my age that was a nuclear fucking bomb we had never <laughs> we had seen christopher reeve superman we're like that feels like kind of old man shit even when i was a kid and i wasn't that far removed from it it felt older and mm-hmm. I remember I was, god damn, I can't remember, I was five or six years old when I went to the theater and saw Batman. I was just like, what the fuck is this? I was like, this is the literal greatest thing that's ever. This is before we had Batman the Animated Series. We had only seen Batman as, mm-hmm. you know, the Adam West Batman. And then we saw this movie and we're like, what the fuck is this? And so Tim Burton can do both very well. Uh, but mm. this movie, yeah, I think this one really taps into the... Uh, there's always a thing. I always imagine him like he was like the Adams family kid who just like never came out of his room. Right? Like he just hit up there. He's like, I don't really want to be part of the quirkiness of the family. I've got real shit to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie taps in so I think there's a thing in some of his movies where his characters are kind of cold, right? Like Edward Scissorhands, right? A great mm-hmm. empathetic performance, but he's not the one you latch onto in that story as much. Mm-hmm. I think in this one, I think Victor Emily and Victoria, he finds such a a great way to pull us into these characters. I thought that was a really big step up for him in this one compared to some of his other movies. I think so, too. Like, I think the trio, yeah, they have a very interesting dynamic. And um, it's it, in a similar way, too, because, like, you know, uh, it could even be, you know, some of uh, his you know personal feelings of people pushing him in certain directions mm-hmm. and telling him what he should be doing and what you need to be doing. So with this whole arranged marriage thing, you definitely feel that of like, you know, they're kind of being, uh, you know, pulled and pushed in all these different ways. And it's, you know, mainly for the parents, you know, I love that yeah. uh, Victoria's uh, rich parents are broke, um, <laughs> and, you know, and they're like, okay, so we're going to marry off our daughter to, uh, you know, this uh, son of, you know, uh, yeah. fish merchants that do Ew, decently nouveau well it rich, looks like. yeah <laughs> yeah the, the nouveau riche um and uh you know so it's like it's it's interesting that's all that but then like when you do see uh victoria and victor meet they instantly do have chemistry and they're they're oh, into it you know so it's like okay scene. good it's like that's good like because you hate like when it's the arranged marriage and like one of them's evil and then yeah. like that and there's the tension there i like that they instantly are like oh like no, you're you're kind of cute, and I'm into you. Like this is cool. Yeah. Like okay, may, I feel a little bit better about this situation, but because they still aren't the ones controlling the situation, you feel bad for them. You know. Yeah, it's it's such because it, a lot of it is kind of this anti Disney storytelling, and I can't even imagine the fucking notes he must have gotten from executives while making this movie. Um, oh, uh, but yeah. I love that they stuck to it, right? Like you can just imagine. 
Cause it's almost as if at every turn he's like, fuck you, I'm going to go exactly the other way. Um, and it works so well for this movie. And I also forgot that to speak to how much empathy they garner for these characters, I forgot how insanely compressed the timeline of this movie is. This is like a weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like they this is literally like two days. <laughs> they they literally meet the day of the rehearsal for the wedding, the day right. before the wedding. They, so it's like all this has been in motion. They still hadn't even met yet, and that's like yeah. very wild. And then yeah, like everything kind of uh, does happen very very fast, you know. And yeah, it's a, he meets uh, her. He goes to the woods. He gets rehitched, dragged to hell or heaven, you know, or just a cool party place between. Uh, comes back goes back comes back again and it's like this is like a day and a half <laughs> this is like yeah. the wildest day of this guy's life <laughs> yeah and, and and it's and it's cool because i i also like um uh, we don't really get them all that often but like coming of age movies featuring adults you know, like, you know, even though, like, he is a full-on adult. And, and we don't really know their age. I mean, I assume maybe early 20s if it's, like, an arranged marriage in the Victorian yeah. era. You know, but they're adults. I mean, they could have been know. 14 back then. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I find that fascinating that, you know, like, in this whole, you know, experience, he, like, kind of has this, like, very fast coming of age of, like, kind of having to learn about himself, being able to take charge of his own feelings instead of, people telling him because like that's kind of the thing um mm -hmm. you know between him and emily he you know emily kind of drags him in and then eventually he just like kind of gives up and is like all right well i guess i'm gonna try to like her now and he like you know and then they kind of have their um little uh you know connection which then you know helps emily realize like mm -hmm. you know oh i can't do this and i don't need to have somebody to make myself happy as long as you know i know that you know somebody out there does think highly of me so it's like the way that yeah. the three of them, their journeys all intersect together. Uh, it works really well. Oh, absolutely. It's a conversation we're having more now, which is really, I think, healthy for people. Um, I think maybe when this movie is coming out, we weren't having enough talk still about mental health and selfhood. And especially this, it's something me and my wife talk about. We're hitting middle age like officially now. And we just look at each other sometimes and we're like, we still feel like high school kids that are like sneaking around, like we're going to get caught. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they don't know that we have like a life and shit. Right? Like we don't feel like what we thought we would feel like at middle age. And we still don't know anything. And we're still just kind of getting to it. And I, there is something about that. You never know when you're going to come of age and you yeah. just keep fucking taking swings and hoping you don't ruin anything. <laughs> and I, I love that. Cause it is, it's, all of them finding a way to stand up for what they think is important in their own life mm -hmm. creates this like kind of lighthouse for another character. And I, I thought that was beautiful, man. Like that scene at the end when Emily just is like, I had my dreams stolen from me and now I'm stealing them from me. I thought that was lovely. Like I, yeah. I was really moved to tears watching that final scene. And it's just not a movie I expected to have that journey with. Yeah, like it's it's uh, again like because you know it's all about kind of breaking these these controls and restraints, you know. And of course, with Emily, like you know, like because the way that I gather that it worked is because like everyone in the underworld still knew who she was. So what I assume was her spirit was down there, but her body was like the you know stuck in the ground and everything. And then once uh, her like little fairy tale curse thing happens, like oh if somebody does their vows, then she you know her soul mm -hmm. rejoins her like dead body again. So it's like yeah. she's like kind of breaking the restraint from the curse, but then um, you know all the different control angles, and then 
the way that you know Lord Barkus, uh, you know, swoops in trying to you know take Victoria and then do the same thing that yeah. he did to Emily. Um, it, which again, like, like already just uh, you know Emily being a, a dead bride that just wants to get married is already sad enough. But then the reveal that Lord Barkus murdered her. Uh, after taking all of her money is like god yeah. damn like that's yeah like, again like, that, that's not a that's not a kid movie villain you know no, again. he didn't even bury her ass he just kicked her off the road <laughs> like he just rolled her down a hill dude it's so fucking brutal and again it's this because even mocks her right and he's like always the bridesmaid never the bride uh can a heart break once it stopped beating he's just like fucking dunking on her face and it's like he doesn't even have a moment of remorse or like he's not haunted by his actions. Whereas when we see her in this, it's almost a limbo station, right? Like it's it's yeah. a place where these souls live, but they all eventually, as we see, have something that they want to accomplish. And, yes. you know, maybe at the end she like leaves that place for good. Um, mm-hmm. But she just walks around and everyone there is like looks at her like she's the most tragic figure. Like, oh, the, the young right, bride. Like, to, to be the, the saddest soul in limbo is yeah, just like, right. that's like, talk about low of the low. Yeah. Like if There's you just got, like an you, alcoholic skeleton falling apart, and he's like, man, look at that bitch. Like, yeah, like, oh, man, I feel so bad for her, you know. And, uh, yeah, which is which is crazy. And I, I love this, uh, this like, kind of limbo area. Like I, I like love that, that part, too. I, I like that Burton didn't, you know, make it heaven or hell, like to like lean either way. Like mm-hmm. it, it is like kind of this like middle ground area. And, and I love the the simple visual motif of like the real world is all gray. It's drab. There's no color. And then you go down to the limbo underworld and it's bright and it's saturated. And there's so yeah. much energy and, you know, That's people such are singing a weird dancing. choice. Yeah. What yeah. did you make of that choice? Why do that? I think it's really cool in a way to I think it's, um you know, when people say like, yeah, you might be alive, but you're not living. I feel like ah, that is kind of that. Victor and Victoria's world. Like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. around in the world and they're doing stuff, but like, are they truly living oh. anything? And so I feel like that's kind of maybe what they're going for. That like, you know, once mm-hmm. you're kind of uh, again free from the restraints of the the real world and all these other things around you, like you can kind of enjoy yourself a little bit more, even if they do still have like, you know, like you said, unfinished business somewhere. And that's why they're in limbo. But at the same time, they're away from their depressing lives that they might, (laughs) you know, and they're just like, yeah, like, you know, we're partying down here and like, you know, it's, it's whatever. So it didn't seem that bad. Yeah. I told me and my wife have this joke about the, uh, we're the kind of tired that sleep can't fix just all the time. (laughs) Um, and so you're like, yeah, it's not that, that doesn't seem that bad. But, like, even the guy who, like, drives the coach around, he falls off the coach dead. And they just keep rolling past him, right? He kind of mm-hmm. comes down there, and it's like, oh, no. And it seems sad. And then he just goes, <sighs> and grabs yes. a beer. Right? Like, <laughs> so I think you I, nailed it exactly. I think that's a great insight. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, yeah, such a cool little detail because, like, he, you know, has, like, a cough the whole movie. So it's like, oh, he's probably a smoker. Maybe has, like, lung yeah. cancer or something like that. And then, yeah, he, like takes his first like real breath and probably who knows how long yeah. you know of getting nice deep breath and it's like such a nice little uh small detail that i think is uh is really cool and uh and of course like i i, I love this like kind of this little bar um uh area we have a uh the, the head waiter who is literally just a head right uh we got we got <laughs> you know the the three cooks in the kitchen uh and you know all these uh personalities but i will say the one song that is catchy and fun in this is Remains of the Day by uh, uh, sang by Danny Elfman, of course. Um, and I, I did that song for a um, for a high school uh, cabaret 
Did show. you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, dre- I, Hell I, yeah. I, 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 I dressed in all black and had like a skeleton T-shirt on and like the bowler hat and everything, and like wore like makeup. And I like did the did the whole thing. It was a, a super good time. I think it's honestly one uh, Danny Elfman's like most underrated songs in uh, some yeah. of his films. I love that song too. That that is kind of a perfect song for that moment in the movie. It it does. There are those kind of musicals that are really popular because they're kind of sing along musicals. Because mm-hmm. my brother is uh, my younger brother. He was a musical theater guy. I did theater, but I have this. I have one of the most offensively bad voices that's ever been foisted on a person. Right. So like me and singing just parted ways. But sometimes he'll walk me through because I was like, I just don't get musicals. And so he'll sit me down and, like, walk me through it. And I was like, I feel like I've gathered a, an appreciation over the years. And this feels like one that just on the surface isn't at that accessible, like, sing-along Disney kind of shit. But to your point, it is narratively so fulfilling when they when they do the songs. Because you almost forget that songs are still going to be in the movie every time a song starts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the piano feels like something they're just doing in the world, right? Yes. The piano is almost this like little sign to the other people like, hey, we're also unfulfilled souls, right? That's kind of when the piano comes in. Yeah, uh, I, I think the, the, the varying uses of the music is interesting because like I said earlier, like the, the songs are more telling the story. They're kind of mm. the more songs where it's just like they're talking rhythmically, like yeah. uh, especially like the two, you know, according to plan, the, the two songs with the two parents. Yeah. Uh, which I which I love. I, I love doing that little because they're their voices and the things that they're saying, yeah. um, it, you know. So, yeah, it's like they, they kind of do that. And then, yeah, bringing in like that. That piano score is gorgeous. I love yes. uh, both the scenes of Victor playing piano, you know, where it's like kind of showing him at peace. You know, he's a very nervous, anxious guy and he's got all this shit going on. But then the two scenes where he's, you know, at his most calm is when he's playing piano. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they they use it uh in that way as well so uh yeah the 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 use of the music is really good and it's really gorgeous like as per usual from danny elfman (laughs) right yeah it's i i think that's a great way it's just it is this movie that is shockingly gorgeous i think you can see the elevation of the kind of medium the stop motion animation in this one is so far ahead of what they were doing on nightmare before christmas there are shots in this movie that are fucking jaw-dropping yeah. Um, not yeah. even just because they're claymation. They're just beautiful compositions. Like some mm-hmm. of the shots of the bride are just fucking stunners. Yeah. And so and, like just the on transitions a craft level. Too. Oh, my gosh, man. The like, movement like it's it's in- incredible. And I don't know that even we can appreciate it enough since, you know, most of us probably don't know that kind of form as well as, you know, these guys. But yeah. I mean, it, I was immediately struck by how far the the jump was ahead. Oh yeah, I mean, so so I I did work on a music video where it was uh, about eighty percent stop motion, like we, really? we did. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> did all the. Uh, we had like six of us that were like animating all these objects, basically. Like we had the one person on the camera, and then there'd be like four of us that would have to do our tiny movements, and we'd mm. be like assigned to certain items to like make you know the things, and we'd have to do rehearsals with it to like make sure <laughs> you know so that way we don't have to do multiple takes of it and stuff like that. And, right. Um, it's interesting cause they, so they did have a difference in this one. Um, uh, nightmare before Christmas was a stop motion shot on film, uh, which I still like because it does kind of give it a little more tactile texture to it. Like mm-hmm. uh, this one is a little bit smooth, um, but it is still gorgeous, uh, because they did this one on a digital camera. Um, uh... they, they, um, 
they wanted now that you it, mentioned it, was, it you can see it that makes perfect sense yeah so so they they used um and it's crazy they used a, a canon uh e mark ii like a literal camera you can get for like 400 bucks yeah uh, you know and they just like outfitted it with um with uh, custom lenses um but they did that because um they uh want to use some of the similar stuff that uh henry selick was doing in monkey bone mm -hmm. he like developed like new technology to like integrate the live action and stop motion so they brought some of that into this one uh using the the digital camera so you you lose a little bit of the grain but at the same time i think that's how they were able to like do more smoother motions these transitions between scenes mm -hmm. and uh still make it a little bit more cinematic yeah because it's it's something i can't even remember the last like claymation movie maybe kubo and the two strings like, uh, it's just it's banger. not something that you see i mean that movie fucking what insanity like that that is an incredible i would love to i saw some of the behind the scenes of how they animated like some of the fight scenes and stuff in that unbelievable uh just one of those things where it's just like it's hard for me to process that people can do these kind of things it takes um, like so much time and patience oh. and like that's what i always appreciate like i love yeah. all the leica stuff uh, i still need to check out uh wendell and wild that that was like the most recent um, yeah i haven't seen one that, that one that came either. out haven't, haven't seen that one uh and that one was henry selick also right um but uh yeah like I, I i just very much yeah appreciate the form of it and and i really like um again like even even the drabness of like the drab living world still looks really good it has this very cool silky blue to it with these grays and then uh using yeah. fog fog and moonlight at night like you know stuff like that like the way this movie is lit like oh my gosh like lighting an animated film is so interesting and like weird to me but like yeah. it looks so good yeah, it's it's crazy because I grew up watching uh, like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I'd watch it all the fucking time uh, was Jason and the Argonauts, right, which was a Harryhausen thing. Mm -hmm. And it had these skeletons and these harpies that would come down and it was just fucking the coolest thing to me. And then that like becomes Clash of the Titans. And so I've always just loved this this kind of medium. Right. Like, I think there's just something about the movement of it. It's just so unique to the eye. But to your point, this one, like when the bride first comes and the crows are flying through, mm -hmm. I was like, my God, look at that. And then when, you know, she's on the bridge, the the two that really got me this time is when she goes dark bride. Yeah. She's like this motherfucker. He lied to me to go try to get some ass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and brings them back into the world. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, my God. I was like, that scene is a. I was like, am I in love with the bride? I was like, is this oh, a new she like. I can get it. She can get it. Okay, like, like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> Emily can get it. Uh, the way that they did present her is like very interesting. Like they would kind of bask her in this glowing light that you would still like. Kind of like they still film her like a princess, even though she's a corpse. Yeah. Uh, like in like uh, that that rotating bridge scene. Like oh my god, how did they do that? Like is it's it's it, bizarre. Uh, I mean, it's... and it doesn't hurt being voiced by Helena Bonham Carter either. Like yeah. she's one of my all time yeah. crushes. So yeah, em Emily. Uh, certified well there was like a shot where i was like man the one part like where the wedding dress is ripped and it's like just a little lower and yeah. i was like i'm having like a complicated <laughs> reaction to i was like i think the bride is my type i was like i think i have another type like thanks for that uh <laughs> well, when i'm with you i was like i was like there are worse ways to go i think i might make the deal with victor and just be like 
you know what? I'm tired of like paying bills. Like I'm just gonna go with her. Like, <laughs> it's it's honestly not a bad like like he's kind of in a win win in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that you know, kid like... really like it started bad for him, but like he's yeah. he's he's doing all right, man. Yeah, that, it really one did turn day... around for him. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you'll find us at the bar, man. We'll just be jamming on the piano and loving our afterlife. Um, the shot too that really got me was at the end when she walks out of the church, and it's. Cause they must've cut the table in half, but like, you know, it's a, it's a low angle of her as her veil is kind of stretched out and the moon is up above and her body starts to turn into the, the moths or butterflies. I was like, my Mm. God, like there's just not a shot in nightmare before Christmas. that even comes close to that. Yeah, no, like uh, again, and like that was with them being able to blend in mm-hmm. more special effects into this one than the nightmare. Nightmare was pretty much all natural and yeah. you know and practical versus this one. They did have the luxury of uh, they didn't use a ton of effects. It was mainly like still the same stuff, just to like take out the wires and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But like you know, they were able to put those flourishes in, like the uh, the the transitions with like the smoke whenever they like first uh, you know do the haunting spell thing. And oh, he, he like, cracks the egg, the, yeah. Yeah, so like stuff like that and like the those butterfly moments because obviously you can't stop motion that, you know, that would be yeah. insane. So And if that uh, it, if it, that bothers you though, but just look at the framing and to your point, the lighting of that shot, like the way they captured that moonlight. Mm-hmm. I Yeah. I mean it's and, just and the house beautiful. too, like uh the, the Van Dort house uh is oh, like yeah. really this when the great, green flame comes up. <laughs> mm-hmm, this like big, too. big gothic mansion, you know, and like and again, like you're watching something that's stop motion. These are miniatures like um, the the like Victor and Emily uh, like figures were only like 17 inches. So like this isn't very big, but like the way that they film the, the house, they still film it like a normal film would and you feel the scale to it. Mm. And like that's such an underrated aspect of of um, of uh, stop motion. So and, and I think it also helps with uh, Tim Burton's character designs. Because, like, you know, like, even in live action, he has these kind of outlandish-looking people. Um, Mm. But with the stop motion, he can go even further. Like, they all have these impossible body proportions. uh, Like, uh, the mom, uh, Van Dort, uh, she's, like, tall, hunched in, like, a, like, L shape with, like, a (laughs) foot for a head. Like, (laughs) like, it's just, like, uh, who can't, like, how do you design The carriage man, it looks like Kingpin from Spider-Verse, and you're just like, no wonder that guy couldn't breathe. Like, he's got a lot of upper back. Uh (laughs) Yeah, so it's like he's able to, like, kind of exaggerate those, these, you know, cartoony characters that we're so used to, but, like, now he's, you know, doesn't have the constraints of, you know, having to deal with real people to do it. He can literally have people shape the clay into these, you know, very fascinating characters, and I, I really enjoy that. Like, even all the dead people, too, like, they all have kind of different looks some of them have different mm-hmm. colors some of them are half decomposed some are yeah. not you know and that one I guy's just did... chopped in half <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah and, the and, peter and... Lorre worm like i just i was loving it man and it's funny because the voice cast feels more muted in this one than i remembered except for christopher lee who's just doing christopher lee shit um he's like this this hammer from the gods but it, it is just kind of this soft and quiet and highly effective performances around. Um, yeah, I, I think Tim Burton's always been very good at that. I, yeah, I think he's I think always he, been a superpower of his. 
Yeah, he he casts really well. Um, I mean, of course, he you know brings in some of his regulars, but like, I mean, like I like for the longest time, like I was convinced that it wasn't Johnny Depp. I was like, this does like not even sound like him. Yeah, like, he's like doing something like so completely different than like what you're used to. Uh, uh, Emily Watson, even though she doesn't get a ton to do as Victoria, but she right. is like you know brings that little. She that, has a that, couple that, of those like he's with a, a corpse, and they're like, dear God, she's breaking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and then uh, of course, like um, you know, Tracy Ullman, very fantastic. Yeah, she does multiple. Tracy she, and uh, and Albert Finney, legend. Yeah. You know, they, Albert they Finney, both... the man. Richard E. Grant is a great bad guy. Yes. Uh, you know what though? Victoria had one of my favorite lines in the movie because again, she is kind of the the kind of extra character, the vestigial tale, where she has that line where uh, Barkus is just like you know. We got to get all the money and get out of here. My dowry. And she's like, oh, there's no money. And he's all pissed. And he goes, she goes, ah, in disappointment, we are finally the same. And I was like, yeah, let him <laughs> like, what a good line. <laughs> she does. It. She does have one. Uh, I think just my favorite on him. <laughs> I think my favorite line, just because it makes me laugh every single time, because it comes out of nowhere is uh, during uh, the according to plan song. When uh, the Van Dorts are singing and they're shitting on her, and they go, "Our daughter with a face of an otter in disgrace." Like, <laughs> who calls their? Who describes their kid like that? It comes out of I didn't nowhere. Even hear that. Yes, like he, it, Albert Finney, like pops it in like so quick because he's like they're like talking about how they're trying to marry into Jesus Victor's Christ. family. And they're like, oh, yeah, our stupid daughter is going to be our key to rising back up and says that she looks like an otter in disgrace. What? Yeah. Just... What does a disgraced otter look like? What did he do? I, I mean, like, what a what a fucking just specific reference. Such an out of pocket roast. Yeah. <laughs> so out of pocket. This little motherfucker, man, you got to you got to roll that back. Dude. I also that's not really like calling like... your kid like a dipshit. That's just like a blanket. I'm disappointed. That is like a really pointed and hurtful yeah. thing to say <laughs> very specific considering it's like those are your genes bruh like yeah, you created right. that face and like, yeah uh, settle down bowling ball uh before <laughs> you start throwing haymakers uh <laughs> fuck dude yeah i didn't even hear that i would have to go return that on it's, um it's it's a goodie it's so good i i just think of this movie like i i love the the finale really pays off in the church in the wedding it's very sweet it's very heartwarming right i love victor like taking charge of the um you know kind of the ceremony and he fights barkus with a fork which is very fun but the the kind of thing in the end that like really latched on to me i was like it's kind of this perfect like what i love about tim burton moment right is when all the bodies are coming back and everyone who sees them the town folk are like ah fuck and they're all running away and they're scared right because they they look monstrous to them mm-hmm and I love that scene where the skeletal guy is like approaching the kid and the little kid stops and he looks and he kind of squints and he walks up and the this creature picks him up and he looks like a classic scary monster. And then he hugs him and he's like, Grandpa, right? And then you start seeing all of them seeing someone they had lost. And it's this moment of, you know, it looks monstrous outside, but, you know, there's this love and sweetness. And I was like, that one moment, I was like, to me, that just so solidifies like kind of the magic that Tim Burton captured for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was just, it's that, really yeah, heartwarming. It's, it's that dark sweetness, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, because he's always kind of, you know, been about like, you know, people judging others for the way they look mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, and still finding the humanity and like, 
and with this one like still you know showing that like oh these are dead souls that still have humanity like these are yeah they're yeah. dead souls and kind of monstrous now but they were human beings still mm-hmm. like you know that left you know loved ones behind and had connections and stuff uh i, I love the uh the the one that uh finds his wife and oh. she's like oh, and she's like all old and he's like i don't give a damn and oh, he still I love kisses her you know like <laughs> that was so cute <laughs> yeah she's kind of banging him on the head and he's just like dude dude oh i love that yeah, yeah, so I, it, did, I just thought it was great, man. Um, and again, it is kind of the old cliche for a lot of us that are in the horror community. If you go to horror film festivals or horror conventions, just like I always, it's like the sweetest group of people, right? These kind of scary-looking hordes of people sometimes from the outside, and just man, it's just always like the nicest, happiest group. And I think this moment solidifies that right that you know sometimes you throw the flag up of looking a certain way just as a test right i I think it's that and i think the the ending also does a good job which i'll say the third act is a smidge rushed just because of how short this movie is Yeah, it's not Um, a long flick they really get to it like by the time they're back up to the to the world uh, uh, upper world to you know do the wedding again there's only like 20 minutes left of the movie and then it yeah. like kind of they kind of do it fast. That's my that's really my only quip with this film. However, yeah, he does again like kind of you know going against regular fairy tale conventions and stuff. Usually you don't really get to see the bad guy like really get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Like usually it, it ends up being someone saying, "Oh, I'm the bigger person," or or "Oh, it's this," or you just or they get locked up in jail and stuff. And I like that you know like this also shows that like just because people are dead doesn't mean that they're gone and they're going to be forgotten about, you know, Mm. they're, you know, people remember them and they remember you, you know? So whenever they come up and they, you know, know what he did to Emily and they fucking kill him, you know, like immediately. (laughs) So he drinks uh, the thing. He's just like, I got to get hammered after his sword fight. And it, you know, the guy's like, stop, we're, we're in the land of the living. And then the worm's like, not anymore. And I was yes. like, oh, fuck, dude. And yeah, they drag him to that. And, the, and then he goes, all right, have at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go get his ass. Uh, yeah, because I was like, what is that? Like, you're, now you're, like, really tortured and maimed for all. I thought that was great, man. If I had a beef with the movie, that's probably too strong of a phrase, right? It's I wanted that that last final button for Emily. Because I love the scene when they're, you know, the Peter Laurie worm and the skeleton are like, we can just kill Victor and you can get what you want. And she's like thinking about it and she's like i can't do it right she kind of lets him off the hook she mm-hmm. shows some mercy and that opens victor up to her yeah i wanted that dark bride to come back like when she realized barkus had done that to her i wanted her to get some fucking righteous revenge on him yes um, that 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 actually would have been nice because even he, whenever the wedding scene her is going. like fucking trash in the woods and then she comes back and he's still shitting on her you know, just like, right in her like, face. I was like, where's that evil bride? You know, like I, yeah, I think there's something to, yeah, that's kind of Victor's moment to stand his ground and fight for Victoria and this and that I do with, but you know, in a way, and then she just goes with the, Hey, you actually freed me. Thank you. So it's about letting go, not this kind of cheap vengeance, mm-hmm. but it's something I couldn't stop thinking about. Uh, yeah it's like a we definitely want to see that and it's like it would have been i think it would have been funny maybe if like maybe the very last scene is like you go back to the the limbo world and she has him married but like tied up and like she's like oh no you're gonna be my husband now and like has him like you know like forces him into it i think that would be funny (laughs) 
I had thought funny. that was where it was going. Because, again, I had forgotten a lot of, like, the mechanics of it. And I thought that the way Johnny Depp was going to get out of his deal with her is that she would find the guy who betrayed her. Um, so I thought there was going to be this, like, evil... There's that thing in uh, Toontown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The, like, really, like, horrifyingly animated Jessica Rabbit clone that's just, like, trying to get a man at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was like, you don't want to turn her into that. Uh, that's, yeah. not, that's not a very dignified ending for our uh, <laughs> our sad, tragic uh, lead here. Yeah, but, as much as I w- would love yeah. to see her get her revenge, I am I still love that it ends on a moment that I think is extremely resonant now in a day and age where, like we, we saw during a lockdown, people can't be alone with themselves anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like people are, it, which is fine. Like we we are humans, we crave you know connection, but at the same time, like you know, people really were just like, oh my god, I have to spend a week by myself. What am I gonna do? And it's like. Yeah it's okay so it's like i like with emily's that she does finally get to that point of you know letting go of being like no i don't need companionship because like i you know i have friends i do have Mm -hmm. souls around me that care about me i guess yeah and then she and and she also like uh gets her confidence back of being like okay yeah no i i was a good person i am a good person and Mm -hmm. i can i don't need to to be with anybody yeah, it kind of cheapens her journey, you know, of letting Victor walk away if she's, like, blood-soaked and covered in guts. Also, you don't want her to drag Barkus back to be like, now you're my husband in limbo. It's like, no, he, you don't deserve her. Fuck that guy. You exactly, I mean? yeah. Even if you are, yeah. yeah, even if you are forced and tied into it, you still don't deserve her. Yeah, we don't want her tending to his ass for all all time. I want her to go be happy wherever the fuck she ends up. Um yeah, I don't know. It's just the first thing that kept leaping into my head. But then you're like, yeah, I think where she gets is better. Um, it's weirdly aspirational for an ending to this kind of a tale. And I I, I think that's I think it's really sweet, man. I, I think the other way is where you'd kind of go that, you know, Beetlejuice getting dragged down. I I love that she just says, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm out. I think it's a, I think it's a, once again, kind of commentary on fairy tale tropes is like, mm-hmm. this is a happy ending, but it's not a perfect one. You know, like it's, uh, yeah. you know, at, typically in fairy tales, everything's tidied up nice and perfect and with a nice little bow on top and it's a perfect ending. It's like, this is a happy ending. Like Victor and Victoria have each other. Emily's been set free, but it's still not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. like what are they, what's going to happen afterwards? Like, are they going to, you know, disown themselves from their family and go do their own thing now? Um, you know, like two months you know, from now, they hate each other. Uh, you know, like, you know, so, so it's now like, that so everyone it's knows perfect... the dead walk the earth like that has to change some social mechanics. Yep. around. Yep. <laughs> so it's like so it's not a perfect ending, but it is still happy. Yeah. At least they all three of them have found what's worth fighting for for them. What's or not fighting for. for living for. That's the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. It's just it's a really beautiful, poignant and kind of a unique movie to watch. Um, Yeah. So you watch this all the time. We watched it for the show. What would be your final pitch? Like your little love letter to someone who's still on the fence about watching it. Yeah, uh, I would. uh, What I I mean, kind of for most movies, it's just like, you know, treat this movie on its own. Like, don't. 
uh, you know, think about it and the, oh, it's just a Nightmare Before Christmas ripoff or, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is, uh, you know, mid-2000s Burton when he, quote-unquote, didn't have it, you know? Like, don't think of all the, you know, things connected to it. Like, this is a perfect example of just being like, you know, take the film on its own and, uh, and you know, let it surprise you. And uh, it, so... So, yeah, I, I would say this should definitely be in October rotation because it very much, uh, again, like got me in the spooky season mood. It Absolutely. feels nice and fall-esque. Um, it's gorgeous, you know. So, again, like if you, if you didn't give it a chance for reasons unconnected to the movie, give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, really, it's aesthetically kind of perfect. Like that Legend of Sleepy Hollow cartoon. There are certain ones that are just so perfect to watch this time of year. And uh, I agree with you on that. I think it's a lovely tale. Uh, I think it was lovely to talk to you again. I appreciate you coming back. Uh, You want to tell everyone one more time where they can find all your stuff you're working on? Yes, of course. Thank you for having me again. Happy spooky season to everyone. Happy (laughs) spooky. You can uh, find me on Spectre Cinema Club. Uh, This month, our theme is Death Games, inspired by Saw. So we're uh, doing, you know, human hunting games, life or death games, you know, kind of stuff in that vein. So we uh, we have a really fun lineup, and we'll also be doing our full uh, Saw filmography ranking for our Halloween special. Uh, so so this month is going to be a lot of fun, and then uh, we're also going to be uh, talking Hitchcock next month, so it'll oh, be a, awesome. nice, uh, a nice spooky season palette cleanser, I think. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me on uh, The Pot and Pendulum. I'm a uh, panel, rotating panelist on that show uh, where we cover franchises, you know, one movie at a time in sequential order. Uh, and uh, we're uh, st- we're uh, mid deep in the Saw franchise still. We're about halfway nice. through, so uh, go uh, check out some of those episodes because we've had some really great discussions over there. So yeah, awesome. Maybe just for you, I will get back into the Saw franchise. Maybe you're what I need to get back into the running. <laughs> hey, you know, li- listen, listen to listen to the episode because I think three is the best one. So if you stopped at two, nice. I think you do need to pick back up. But uh, yeah, I so, think it so was check two those- is where I stopped. That might I remember the syringes that's the nightmare image that saw will never give let go of me uh, we, we go into a lot of places <laughs> that you do not think the saw franchise would have in it so yeah. uh, i i really love the conversations over there and uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at underscore daddy disco awesome uh thanks so much it was a delight as always we'll have all that information in the show notes guys uh you know the deal 31 days 31 pods uh head over to patreon.com slash film alchemist pod uh to make sure you get those patreon exclusives and the feature length commentary this month uh thank you guys for your time thank you uh devon for making the time again we'll see you guys tomorrow for another exciting horror movie adventure bye